welcome back to 24 Carats. We are in part four talking with Amy Cromus about supplier diversity. I'm Devin Owens-Teller. I lead operations and analytics at Keras by KJE. We are a tech-enabled leadership development and consulting firm specializing in diversity, equity, and inclusion. All right, Amy, we are going to go there and talk about really embracing inclusion um, and how suppliers um, and companies can really build the systems and resources uh, that we need to really be successful um, and you know propel us for another uh, 20 years or so in this space. So are you ready to dive in? I am. Let's go. All right. So what systems or resources should be in place to make the procurement process friendlier to smaller mm. and diverse owned businesses? Yes, um, I would certainly say, you know, you are able to meet the demand for something when you know what the demand is. Mm. So for instance, if an RFP is being put out and the instruction and the instructions are very vague, then how do I know what you value, right? Mm. And especially if I don't have that social capital to have known who the decision maker is, to have yeah. met with them prior to the RFP coming out, how am I supposed to know what to highlight, particularly if there's a page limit or a word count? Mm. And so having transparent criteria on what's required to do business with these uh, companies and particularly transparent criteria for RFPs. I know particularly in the public space, um, a lot of agencies will spell out for you, you get X amount of points for this, you get X amount of oh. points for this. And you also, you know, when there's pieces in the program where they'll say you get X amount of points for having an MBE partner, MBE or, you know, minority business enterprise or women business enterprise partner. So it's, it's kind of twofold. One, knowing what I'm targeting by putting out transparent criteria and then also, you know, looking at your procurement and your contract language to see if it's even advantageous for businesses, for minority owned businesses to um to be empowered and to be utilized throughout the process as well so that's certainly one something we discussed in the last episode was debriefs i find debriefs to be tremendously helpful um, if debriefs were to be done every time the mbe um, lost a contract i would love to see the stats yeah. on how that would increase you know, um, repeat bids afterwards, right? Yeah. Because if you know where you faltered, if you know what the what what the uh, organization liked, then you're now equipped to better respond next time, right? Mm -hmm. You already have your go by that you can improve upon, yes. and so debriefs need to be much more common in all industries to be frank it helps the mbe improve and grow mm -hmm. and also understand and be self-aware and it also helps the procurement department to get to know these firms rather than just yeah. seeing them on a piece of paper um and then also we talked about last episode around joint ventures and how yes it is far more risk uh, but there is an opportunity in terms of respect, in terms of learning, in terms of development, in terms of mutually mutual beneficial relationships. Mm -hmm. um, but something that would also be interesting that I've always found is uh, in the 8A program, the federal 8A program um, really incentivizes this and is centered around this, where the MBE is the majority partner in the joint venture. Okay. Now, uh, that's an ultimate amount of risk, right? Because now if you're at 51% of the JV of the joint venture, you're now controlling partner, right? Yeah. So you take, you take 
full responsibility for yeah. any losses, for any profits, right? So there's a, there's an upside and there's a downside, but once again, more risk, more reward, more reward at the yeah. end of the day, this is business. But I would all, I've always thought about that in terms of, wow, like I wish there were more JVs who, uh, that were led and controlled partners, you know, by MBEs and also just having the majority owned partners, which in this instance would actually be the minority partner in the mm. JV to have them understand what that feels like. Yeah. Right. Um, just from an empathy standpoint as well. So those are some of the, some of the ways or three of the ways where my mind goes, uh, for the question that you had. Yeah. And then even on those debriefs, I feel like it's also an opportunity for the supplier to kind of share what the experience was like for them. Um, hmm. I'm not sure that's kind of, I'm not sure if that's built in already for uh, companies to get feedback on, you know, how was this process working with us? You know, what, you know, is there something we can do better or we should implement or add to? So I think the debriefs could be great um, both ways, really for the organization or for both organizations. Um, okay, great, that's that's really good. Some good, really um, digging into our systems and our resources, how things are structured, um, how we are even advertising these opportunities for, for supplier-owned businesses or uh, diverse-owned businesses. So then how can companies increase representation and inclusivity in their purchasing decisions? How can they really, I see this question is how do they get started? You know, how do the, yeah. the majority or the larger organizations start a supplier diversity program? What are the key yeah. components? I'm actually going to link it to what you just mentioned, which, by the way, was an excellent recommendation of um, dropping free gems, free gems. <laughs> yes, for the debriefs and having that also be a two way street on yeah. how the company can improve. That's a phenomenal suggestion. Um, and it made me think about the supplier diversity professionals and um, and how supplier diversity professionals typically hear all of the mm -hmm. realness of an MBE's experience in the procurement process. And so we're typically the ones who bring those lovely or terrible experiences to our teams in order to change and fix the process. Yeah. So that, but it's also helpful when it's stated directly to procurement as well. Mm -hmm. So going back to your recommendation and then leading into this question that you just asked, a first step will be hire a supplier diversity professional. I mean, if you think about it, if we've been doing procurement for who knows how long, right? Whether it was back in the day when you're bartering, that's technically procurement. Yeah. If it hasn't changed since then, then let's get someone in the space who understands the space, how power procurement functions within your organization to really change the workflow, to change the processes, to switch things up in terms to make the actual process more inclusive. Yeah. So that would be a first step, right? Actively welcoming change and saying, we're going to bring someone into our team who's going to help us evolve and who's going to ultimately change the way we do business, yes. because that's what this is. Um, and then also to establishing goals, right? When you, you know, you ultimately, you measure what matters. And if supplier diversity is something that a company is saying matters to them, 
then measure it, put a goal to it. And it doesn't need to be, hey, we're going to do 70, 80 percent. It needs to be in line with have it be an evolving goal. Hey, maybe your first year you're doing X and then your next year it's going to be phased in terms of what we'll do. You know, we'll add on women owned businesses or small businesses, whatever it may be. But having that accountability is so important, right? And not just in this space, in any business space, right? If you don't measure it, then how do you know how you're progressing, how you're evolving, whether you're missing the target, right? We do the same thing with other business outcomes. Apply that same, uh, you know, apply that same energy here. Yes. So establishing goals is is very important. And don't be afraid to establish goals, you know, different goals for different areas, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the capacity of diverse businesses are very different in the state of Washington versus the state of New York, yes. right? And so be aware of those differences in demographics. So that way you do have realistic goals and also stretch goals as well to get you started, right? Yeah. Um, and then also scorecards are extremely helpful just from an accountability standpoint. There's a supplier diversity index that has a supplier diversity scorecard mm-hmm. that starts from the very leading indicators, such as are you even outreaching to firms, right? Do you mm-hmm. even know who's in your ecosystem all the way to executive commitment, you know, and tied to different to compensation related to these goals. So it's a wide gamut where people can start based off of where they are in the journey. Mm-hmm. But those are some resources that are definitely helpful in terms of how companies can take an active, um, affirmative commitment <laughs> towards uh, towards supplier diversity. I love it. So talk to me, Amy, um, about the link between we're, we're giving them kind of the how to get started on the on the organization or the larger organization side. Talk to me about what you've seen in terms of an organization that has a supplier diversity program, but not a DEI office um, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Like does, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing? And can you do supplier diversity well without a DEI office? Oh, these are excellent questions. Okay, so I I will certainly say I've seen companies that have supplier diversity office without DEI. And that's mm-hmm. because typically, kind of if you go back to our first episode, it's because it's mandated by the contracts that they have. Mm-hmm. So maybe they need to do reporting for the federal government or maybe they're uh, doing business with a state agency. So they've built it into their process. And it's actually interesting because in that instance, they're used to the process, they know the process. So mm-hmm. in somewhat it's ingrained in their procurement department. Now, if it's as intentional as it could be is a different question, yeah. but at least they understand the lingo, they understand the goals. That can be a positive thing in terms of, hey, we see this as a differentiator, let's elevate it. Or a negative thing in terms of, hey, we know the system, so we'll do the bare minimum, yeah. right? Um, so, so there's that piece. Um, and then I've certainly seen organizations where there's a DEI program without a supplier diversity program. You're seeing that a lot more um, after 2020 mm-hmm. and the atrocities that happened in 2020 where these DEI positions are popping up all over the place and they're very much so people HR focused mm-hmm. um, rather than procurement focused. And yeah. I, I think I think that's rightfully so because mm-hmm. the people culture piece is a very different function than the procurement piece, yeah. right? And to have a unicorn who can understand and navigate both is just that. It kind of is a unicorn. Um, and so that is certainly what I'm seeing in the space. But the ideal state is you have both. 
and you have them linked to the overarching DEI strategy, which is then linked to the overall business yes. and company goals. Yes, yes, yes. So my, th so many thoughts there. <laughs> so in terms of really like that DEI office and, and kind of my thought process around it, it's almost like if I'm if I'm an organization, I'm new to the DEI space. You almost, I guess in my mind, need to start with the DEI office and get your kind of getting your house in order first before you <laughs> before you go outside and making sure, you know, you, you look good and everything is right before we go out to the external and we're trying to bring, you know, bring people into our mess. Right. Um, so we want to make sure that, you know, our, our people are good. Our people are having great experiences and are included. Are, they feel like they belong before we go and mm. try and um, engage with a diverse supplier. And then they in turn don't have a wonderful experience because we haven't done the work on the inside first. Ding, ding, ding. You just hit the nail on the head. I say that all the time. I say, mm -hmm. look, we need to get our house in order before we go out and show ourselves to the world, right? Yes. Focusing on that internal piece and how we need to build inclusive leaders, celebrate, you know, diverse individuals we have within the organization, understand where we're faltering in terms of recruitment and retention and engagement and succession yes. planning. Make sure that we've done the work before we try to go out and be the savior to others. Yes. So no, I, I completely agree with you in that it takes self-awareness to have that approach, mm -hmm. but it also takes patience to have that approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> I think that's what I'm seeing now is businesses just want to say, hey, let's hire a DEI person and they yep. can do it all. Yep. No, that is un that's also putting a barrier on and putting the onus on the underrepresented group to deliver things that are unimaginable. Mm -hmm. So have the patience throughout this process when doing it. And supplier diversity may be, you know, later on in your roadmap, but it's okay. Make sure that it's there on your roadmap, but make sure you're also coming at it with the right intentions and approach internally. Yes we could we could dig so much deeper there yes we will <laughs> off camera yes um but thank you so much this has been a wonderful conversation um i'm really excited about you know just the golden nuggets and the gems that we have um dropped on both sides for those diverse suppliers but also um the corporations to take these tools and put them in their tool belt and begin to change their supplier diversity programs, begin to submit those RFPs so that we can see even more change in years to come in regards to supplier diversity. So thanks for joining us. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. I've absolutely yeah. loved it. I know. All right. Thank you for joining us at 24 Cares. This has been a wonderful conversation with Amy Cromus, DEI Director um, at Essity. Um, here at 24 Cares, we help you live a 24-7 commitment to DEI 365 days of the year.